0: Chapter Eleven of Dandelion Cottage by Carol Watson Rankin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven An Embarrassing Visitor Up to the time of the unpleasantness with Laura, the girls had unlocked the cottage in the morning and had left it unlocked until they were ready to go home at night, for the girls spent all their waking hours at Dandelion Cottage. Betty indeed had the care of the youngest two Tucker babies. But they were good little creatures, and when the girls played with their dolls, they were glad to include the two placid babies, just as if they too were dolls. The littlest baby, in particular, made a remarkably comfortable plaything, for it was all one to him whether he slept in Jean's biggest doll's cradle or in the middle of the dining room table, as long as he was permitted to sleep sixteen hours out of the twenty four. When he wasn't to sleep, he sucked his thumb contentedly, crowed happily on one of the cottage beds, or rolled cheerfully about on the cottage floor. The older baby, too, obligingly stayed wherever the girls happened to put him. After this experience with the Tucker infants, the Milligan baby had proved a great disappointment to the girls, for they had hoped to use him, too, as an animated doll, but he had refused steadfastly to make friends even with Betty, whose way with babies was something beautiful to see. The girls were all required to do their own mending, but they found it no hardship to do their darning on their own doorstep on sunny days, or around the dining-room table if the north wind happened to be blowing, for they always had so many interesting things to talk about. During the daytime, the cottage was never left entirely alone. It was occupied even at meal times because the four families dined and supped at different hours. For instance, Marjorie's Auntie Jane always liked her tea at half-past five, but Jean's people did not dine until seven, Owing to the impossibility of capturing all the boys at one time, supper at the Tucker house was a movable feast, so Betty usually ate whenever she found it most convenient. As for Mabel, it is doubtful as she knew the exact hours for meals at the Bennett house, because she was invariably late. After the handkerchief episode, the girls planned that one or another of them should always be in the cottage from the time that it was opened in the morning, until it was again locked for the night. The morning after the later quarrel, however, The girls met by previous arrangement on Mabel's doorstep, went in a body to the cottage, and after they were all inside, carefully locked the door. "'We'll be on the safe side, anyway,' said Jean, though I wouldn't think that Laura would ever want to come near the place again. "'Oh, she'll come fast enough,' said Mabel. "'She's cheeky enough for anything. "'Do you suppose she's told her mother about it? "'She said she was going to.' "'Pshaw!' said Marjorie. She was always threatening to tell her mother, but nothing ever came of it. If she'd told her mother half the things she said she was going to, she wouldn't have had time to eat or sleep. It was hopeless, the girls had decided, to attempt to mend the ruined photograph. So, at Betty's suggestion, they had sorrowfully cut it into four pieces of equal size, which they divided between them. They had just laid the precious fragments tenderly away in their treasure boxes, when the doorbell rang with such a loud, prolonged, jangling peal that everybody jumped. "'Laura!' exclaimed the four girls. "'No,' said Jean, cautiously drawing back the curtain of the front window and peeping out. "'It's Mrs. Milligan.' "'Goodness!' whispered Marjorie. "'There's no knowing what Laura told her. "'She never did tell anything straight.' "'Let's keep still,' said Mabel.' "'Perhaps you'll think there's nobody home.' "'No hope of that,' said Jean. "'She saw us come in.' "'But, pshaw, she can't hurt us anyway.' "'No,' said Marjorie. "'What's the use of being afraid? "'We didn't do anything to be ashamed of. "'Auntie Jane says we should have turned Laura out "'the day she took the handkerchiefs.' "'I'm not exactly afraid,' said Betty. "'But I don't like Mrs. Milligan. "'Still, we'll have to let her in, I suppose.' A second vigorous peal at the bell warned them that their visitor was getting impatient. You're the biggest and the most dignified, said Marjorie, giving Jean a shove. You go. Don't ask her in if you can help it, warned Betty in a pleading whisper. The doorbell sounds as if she didn't like us very well. But the visitor did not wait to be asked to come in. The moment Jean turned the key, the door was flung open, and Mrs. Milligan brushed past the astonished quartet and sailed into the parlor, where she seated herself bolt upright on the cozy corner. "'I'd like to know,' demanded Mrs. Milligan, in a hard, cold tone that fell unpleasantly on the cottager's ears, "'if you consider it ladylike for four great overgrown girls to pitch into one poor innocent little child and a helpless baby.' Your conduct yesterday was simply outrageous. You might have injured those children for life, or even broken the baby's back. Broken the baby's back, gasped Betty in honest amazement. Why, I simply lifted him with my two hands and set him just outside the door. I never was rough with any baby in all my life. I happen to know, on excellent authority, said Mrs. Milligan, that you slapped both of those helpless children and threw them down the front steps. "'Laura was so excited about it that she couldn't sleep, "'and the poor baby cried half the night. "'We fear that he's injured internally.' "'Nobody here injured them,' said Mabel. "'He always cries all the time, anyhow.' "'We did put them out, and for a very good reason,' "'said Jean, speaking as respectfully as she could. "'But we certainly didn't hurt either of them. "'I'm sorry if the baby isn't well, but I know it isn't our fault.' Laura walked down the steps, said Betty, and the baby turned over and slid down on his stomach the way he always does. I should think that a minister's daughter, said Mrs. Milligan, with a withering glance at poor shrinking Betty, would scorn to tell such lies. Betty, who had never before been accused of untruthfulness, looked the picture of conscious guilt. A tide of crimson flooded her cheeks, and she fingered the buttons on her blouse nervously. She was too dumbfounded to speak a word in her own defense. Mabel, however, was only too ready. "'Betty never told a lie in her life,' cried the indignant little girl. "'It was your own Laura that told stories, if anybody did. And I guess somebody did all right. Laura never tells the truth. She doesn't know how to.' "'I have implicit confidence in Laura,' returned Mrs. Milligan, frowning at Mabel. "'I believe every word she says.' Well, retorted dauntless Mabel, that's more than the rest of us do. We kept count one day, and she told seventy-two fibs that we know of. Oh, Mabel, do hush, pleaded scandalized Betty. Hush nothing, said Mabel, not to be deterred. I'm only telling the truth. Laura took her handkerchiefs and then fibbed about it, and we've missed a dozen things since that she probably carried off, and... Mabel, Mabel warned Jean, pressing her hand over Mabel's too reckless lips. Don't you know that we decided not to say a word about those other things? They didn't amount to anything, and we'd rather have peace than to make a fuss about them. I can see very plainly, said Mrs. Milligan with a cold disapproval, that you're not at all the proper sort of children for my little Laura to play with. I forbid you to speak to her again. I don't care to have her associate with you, I can believe all she says about you, and I've never been treated so rudely in my life. "'Apologize, Mabel,' whispered Jean, whose arm was still about the younger girl's neck. "'If I was rude,' said candid Mabel, "'I beg your pardon. I didn't mean to be impolite, but every word I said about Laura was true.' "'I shall not accept your apology,' said Mrs. Milligan, rising to depart, "'until you've sent a written apology to Laura.' "'and have retracted everything you've said about her besides.' "'It'll never be accepted, then,' said quick-tempered Mabel, "'for we haven't done anything to apologize for.' "'No, Mrs. Milligan,' said Jean, in her even pleasant voice. "'No apology to Laura can ever come from us. "'We stood her just as long as we could, "'and then we turned her out just as kindly as anyone could have done it. "'I told Mother all about it last night, "'and she agreed that there wasn't anything else we could have done.' "'So did Mamma," said Betty. "'So did Auntie Jane.' "'Well,' said Mrs. Milligan, pausing on the porch, "'I'd thank you young gossips to keep your tongues and your hands off my children in the future.' Jean closed the door, and the four girls looked at one another in silence. None of their own relatives were at all like Mrs. Milligan, and they didn't know just what to make of their unpleasant experience. At last Marjorie gave a long sigh.' Well, said she, I came awfully near telling her when she forbade our playing with Laura that my Auntie Jane has forbidden me to even speak to her poor, abused Laura. As for me, said Mabel with lofty scorn, I don't need to be forbidden. Come, girls, said Jean, I'm sorry it had to happen, but I'm glad the matter's ended. Let's not talk about it any more. Let's have one of our own good old days, the kind we had before Laura came. I'll tell you what we'll do, said Betty. We'll each write out a bill of fare for Mr. Black's dinner party, and we'll see how many different things we can think of. In that way, we'll be sure not to forget anything. But the Milligans, breathed Marjorie, promptly seeing through Betty's tactful scheme. The Milligan matter, however, was not by any means ended. It was true that the girls paid no further attention to Laura, but this did not deter that rather vindictive young person from annoying the little cottagers in every way that she possibly could, although she was afraid to work openly. As Laura knew, the girls took great pride in their little garden. Betty's good-natured big brother Rob had offered to take care of their tiny lawn, and he kept it smooth and even. The round pansy bed daily yielded handfuls of great purple, white, or golden blossoms— the thrifty nasturtiums were beginning to bloom with creditable freedom, and many of the different prettily foliaged little plants in the long bed near the Milligan's fence were opening their first curious many-colored flowers. Some of the vegetables were positively getting radishes and carrots on their roots, as Betty put it. The pride of the vegetable garden, however, was a huge rampant vine that threatened to take possession of the entire yard. There was just the one plant, No one knew where the seed came from or how it had managed to get itself planted, but there it was, close beside the back fence. For want of a better name, the girls called it The Accident, and they expected wonderful things from it, when the great yellow trumpet-shaped flowers should give place to fruit, although they didn't know, in the least, what kind of crop to look for, but this made it all the more delightful. "'Perhaps it'll be pumpkins,' said Jean.' I guess I'd better hunt up a recipe for pumpkin pie, so's to be ready when the time comes. Or those funny pale green squashes that are scalloped all around the edge like a dish, said Marjorie. Or cucumbers, said Betty. I took Mrs. Crane a leaf one day and she said it might be cucumbers. Or watermelons, said Mabel. Mmm, wouldn't it be grand if it should happen to be watermelons? What I'm wondering is, said Jean, whether there's any danger of the vines going around the house and taking possession of the front yard too i could almost believe that this was a seedling of jack's beanstalk except that it runs on the ground instead of up if it tries to go around the corner laughed betty we'll train it up the back of the house wouldn't it be fun to have pumpkins or squashes or cucumbers or melons or maybe all of them at once growing on our roof the day after mrs milligan's visit laura who was not invited to the party and who found time heavy on her hands, watched the girls, after stopping for Marjorie, set out in their pretty summer dresses to spend the afternoon at a young friend's house. Laura gazed after them enviously. There was no reason why she should have been invited, for she had never met the little girl who was giving the party, but she didn't think of that. Instead, she foolishly laid the unintentional slight at the little cottager's door. Mrs. Milligan was sewing on the doorstep, and had given Laura a dish-towel to hem, Saying something about hunting up a thimble, Laura went to the kitchen, took the bread-knife from the table drawer, stole quietly out of the back door, and slipped between the bars of the back fence. Reaching the splendid vine that the girls loved so dearly, she parted the huge rough leaves until she found the spot where the vine started from the ground. First, looking about cautiously to make certain that no one was in sight, spiteful Laura drew the knife back and forth against the thick stem, until, with a sudden sharp crack, the sturdy vine parted from its root. Two minutes later, Laura, looking the picture of propriety, sat on the Milligan's doorstep, hemming her dish-towel. Of course, when the girls made their next daily excursion about their garden, they were almost broken-hearted at finding their beloved flat vine on the ground, all withered and dead. "'Oh,' mourned Marjorie, "'Now we'll never know what the accident was going to bear—pumpkins or squashes or—' "'Yes,' said Mabel, who was blinking hard to keep the tears back. "'That's the hardest part of it. It was cut off in its p-prime. "'Oh, dear, I guess I'm g-going to cry.' "'What could have done it?' asked Betty, who was not far from following Mabel's example. "'Has anyone stepped on it?' "'Perhaps a potato bug ate it off,' suggested Jean. "'A two-legged potato bug, I guess,' said Marjorie, who had been examining the ground carefully. "'See here are small, sharp heel prints close to the root.' "'Whose handkerchief is this?' asked Mabel, picking up a small, tightly crumpled ball and unrolling it gingerly. "'There's a name on it, but my eyes are so teary I can't make it out.' "'It looks like Milligan,' said Betty, turning it over.' but we can't tell how long it's been here.' "'Horrid as she is,' said Charitable Jean. "'It doesn't seem as if even Laura would do such a mean thing. I can't believe it of her.' "'I can,' said Mabel. "'If she had a squash vine or a pumpkin vine, I'd go straight over and spoil it this minute.' "'No, no,' said Jean. "'We mustn't be horrid just because other folks are. We won't pay any attention to her.' just be patient.' The girls found four small green egg-like objects growing on the withered vine. They cut them off, and these two they laid tenderly away in their treasure boxes. "'When we get old,' said Mabel tearfully, "'we'll take them out and tell our grandchildren all about the accident.' But even this prospect did not quite console the girls for the loss of their treasure." For the next few days, Laura remained contented with doing on the sly whatever she could to annoy the girls. One evening, when the girls had gone home for the night, and while her mother was away from home, Laura threw a brick at one of the cottage windows, breaking a pane of glass. Reaching in through the hole, she scattered handfuls of sand on the clean floor that the girls had scrubbed that morning. Another night, she emptied a basket full of potato pairings on their neat front porch and daubed molasses on their doorknob. Mean little tricks prompted by a mean little nature. It wasn't much fun, however, to annoy persons who refused to show any sign of being annoyed, and Laurel presently changed her tactics. Taking a large bone from the pantry one day when the girls were sitting on their doorstep, she first showed it to Towser, the Milligan dog, and then threw it over the fence into the very middle of the pansy bed. Of course, the big clumsy dog bounded over the low fence after the bone, crushing many of the delicate pansy plants. After that, at regular intervals, Laura threw sticks and other bones into the other beds, with very much the same result. The next time Rob cut the grass, he noticed the untidy appearance of the beds and asked the reason. The girls explained. "'I'll shoot that dog if you say so,' offered Rob with honest indignation. "'No, no,' said Betty. "'It isn't the dog's fault.' "'No,' said Jean. "'We're not sure that the dog isn't the least objectionable member of the Milligan family.' "'How would it do if I licked the boy?' asked Rob. "'It wouldn't do at all,' replied Betty. "'He works somewhere in the daytime, and he never even looks in this direction when he's home. "'He's afraid of girls.' "'Then I guess you'll have to grin and bear it,' said Rob, moving off with the lawnmower, "'since neither of my remedies seems to fit the case.' End of chapter 11.